Hello and welcome to Alchemical Health with Jen Gash, that's me. And Stuart Jeffrey, uh, I think that's me. Yeah, and we'll be discussing how we can create well-being in a way that enhances the living world. Um, we're going to look at what might health and social care look like in a regenerative and sustainable future. Woohoo! <laughs> and we're particularly interested in creativity, the earth and all sorts of yummy things like that. And the woohoo is because I actually said the word, didn't I? I actually managed to say regenerative. Regenerative twice in in, in one podcast, Jen. I know. You thing have is, excelled. Thing is, everyone listening to this so week in, week out are going to get a bit bored of like, oh, crumbs they're going on about. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, listeners. Let's move on. <laughs> so, Stu, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, we're recording this um, after after my busiest month. Um and um, it was a very good month. Uh, as people know, I, I do a bit of politics locally and um, we had a very nice result. Yes. Well done. Um, yeah. Congratulations. And, and you did well as well, Jen, I believe, because you did it as well. <laughs> I did. I was a paper candidate locally and without any effort whatsoever, Green Party did phenomenally well. I didn't get elected, but, you know, it showed the latent interest and the concerns for people who want something different. So I was really chuffed that people started to voice that, which is what the point is about being a paper candidate you know you kind of like are people interested let's see what what what's what yeah no it's a it's a very interesting month um and obviously that was months ago if you're listening to it now because because it takes us forever to, <laughs> to, to, to process this stuff so so apologies it's not current affairs um we're, we're going to cover this time um we're going to be bringing um a, a special guest in today um philip cargon who um I've known for some time, and this was our first ever conversation, despite me knowing of, of him for, for a very long time. Um, and uh, he's going to be talking about um, uh, some of the interests that he gets involved with. He's a psychotherapist and former, or current even, I suppose, uh, what's the word? Um, it ch was chosen chief of the uh, Order of Barts of Eights and Druids. Um, uh, th there's a name when you're, when you're kind of retired in a professor M professor something or other isn't it you you get this term i forget what it is i should have learned that before the podcast so that's um, we'll let you off but, yeah but, but um and so um we're going to be covering a sort of range of topics um building on some of the stuff we've done already um but first off we have a factoid jen not yeah oh is that, am, um, am i going to do the factoid well, no, you can if you want or well, i can do it well you you do i've got something very important cool. to say about it go on go for it um, well i mean just last week um or eight weeks ago if you're listening now live um <laughs> australia interestingly have just banned vapes all, all vapes and 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 said you can only have them on prescription um they're really worried about the rise in use by young people um and and i suppose i mean it is really interesting um you know vapes in this country have been promoted by public health professionals as being far far safer than smoking um but you know clearly there are a lot of people picking them up and using them and um, because mm. they're seen as safe and and the waste from them is pretty awful We've got a, yeah. um a huge great um roof that you can you can walk above where everyone just likes to throw their their old vapes and it's just piling mm. up mm. um you know, th this is a real pollution problem but it's also a health problem mm. um but on the other side of that does banning drugs work mm. um mm. you know yeah, I mean, not just drugs, but all sorts of things. I mean, my eldest, she is addicted to vaping. And she started partly because of um, 
social reasons because all of her friends would go out and have a smoke at, you know when they were at the pub and she kind of felt left out and then suddenly she realized that because she has some some need for some sensory sort of stimulation and she found that it would help her concentration from a sensory integration point of view and suddenly she's one a vape a day one vape every day so wow. well, yep yep so not only is it you know i mean five quid a day basically and i've said to her about my concerns health concerns you know because i think just the chemicals that go in apart from anything else but we also we're going to make a piece of artwork with because we've kept pretty much all of the vapes that she's used over the last year or however long it is and make a piece of artwork from it because it is yeah the, the waste is phenomenally it just just huge amounts of plastic and and stuff going into that but um yeah so it is so that's one when she finishes her dissertation that's going to be a bit of a challenge for us to to get her off those um because there's not only there's several addictions there's nicotine there's the sweet taste of constant sweet taste of these horrible fruity things um and there's the oral stimulation which is helping her in other ways and concentration etc so it is for me they are problematic but banning things well that's just such a tricky question um mm. yes and no yeah i mean we i'm sure we might pick up on some of the um yes stuff that happens in amsterdam and and portugal who have recently you know removed prohibition on on, on other drugs um which yeah. you know are going the opposite way to, to australia but um uh, let's um let's bring philip in uh philip's joining us um from scotland um i believe and um philip's uh as, as said a minute ago um somebody i've i've kind of known for for, for, for quite some time um and, and i really want philip um welcome um please tell us about yourself what are you doing here hello Stuart and jen hey uh love, love to be with you um great to see you um well, that's too big a question. You can't ask me that question because, <laughs> because I'll talk forever. And the, the, <laughs> hours that's and hours. okay. We just let it go where it goes, <laughs> Philip. Start off and we'll see where we're at. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm up in uh, Edinburgh at the moment, which is a lovely city. It's such a beautiful city. And our, mm. our daughter uh, has just had a baby. Well, um, ab about three weeks ago. And, um, and uh, we're uh, coming up to be... Good grandparents helping doing the washing up, you know, um, <laughs> things like that. And lovely to be with a new baby. So, yeah. Fantastic. Special time. Fantastic. Uh, um, yes, it's a special time. So, so Philip, you're, you're um, uh, I suppose, in my mind, most famous for, for, for leading a Druid order. Um, and, and I'm sure um, people will have, I know people will have seen you on the television in, being interviewed over the over the last few decades and things um but you also um you're also a psychosynthesis psychotherapist and and you're doing some research into um psilocybin i think so so can you just tell us a little bit about um druidry and and psychosynthesis and psilocybin and, and all these wonderful topics that you've you, you've really got your fingers into right <laughs> well, I, I used to sometimes wonder um I was interested in so many things and 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 have have so many different hats that 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 I can put on as it were um that 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 um 
that, that that I was t- you know I had spread what was it you know spread myself too thin I think is the word used and then for me it's it's been quite a, an issue actually in 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 life if you don't specialize in one thing but you do a bunch of things it's quite easy to think of you know to talk yourself down and say well you know if you know I ought to be a specialist and so on but I think I think some people are good at being specialists and some people are good at being generalists and 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 I've just come to accept over the years that I'm one of those people that that you know is interested in a number of things. But actually, they all hold together. They're all really around um, around consciousness development, human development. Um, you know how how we can how we can develop and grow as human beings on this planet. Um, and 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 so from from an early age, I was lucky to encounter people who were involved in spirituality and. My dad knew this chap called Christmas Humphreys, who had started the Buddhist Society in London, and and he knew the old chief druid Ross Nichols. Um, he worked at his college that that Ross Nichols ran in in London, and he my dad taught there. And um, so 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 I was able, I was really lucky enough to meet very interesting people from a very early age, from the age of eleven onwards, really. Um, so so I've now I've forgotten what the question was, but but you, you, yeah, I think it was an open question, wasn't it? It was a cunningly oh, open question, something like yes. Um uh so so um yeah, so for about thirty thirty-two years, I think, I I was um head of the the, the Order of Bards of Eights and Druids. And um, over those three decades, you know, it grew to be the most wonderful group of uh, people. It's still going really well. I handed it over. I, I got the feeling after after about thirty years, I I you know just felt it was time to hand 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 it on. And and uh, there's a wonderful lady who's also happens to be a psychotherapist and a psychologist, Emma Burke in Ireland, and um, she took it on it was wonderful to see her face when we invited her to do this she d- absolutely didn't see it coming at all she was absolutely <laughs> astonished when when uh, when we uh, when stephanie and i suggested she might like to take it over um and the classic thing has happened which is you know when you retire you end up being far more busy than you were before you know so <laughs> so i retired and i was god gave me a few months of sort of peace and quiet and then i was invited onto the board of the institute of psychosynthesis where i trained you know many years previously and i was invited uh, into some work on working with the um some of the participants who'd been on the imperial college trial for uh treatment resistant depression using psilocybin as a as a way of working with people who have treatment resistant depression and um dr rosalind watts who was uh working on that project invited me in specifically rather extraordinarily because of this combination of the druid and the um, psychotherapist, that is, mm. um, transpersonal psychotherapy of psychosis. Seeing those two together, that they, those were things that she wanted to, uh, you know, were interested in her, her mm. and felt would help the project. So that's how I became involved in the psilocybin work. Philip, um, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just conscious with our listeners that, you know, they won't know really what Druidry is about fundamentally, and they'll have this image of... of mm you know, all sorts of things, scary things, hoods and all sorts. And um, could you just, for me as well, just in a nutshell, tell me what the core of Druid beliefs or life is about? You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Well, on, on the one hand, you could say that it's very old because it draws its inspiration from 
um, the ancient Druids, pre-Christian um, religion in you know the British Isles, North um, West of Europe, um, uh, you know, thousands of years ago. But in another sense, it's very modern, in as much as um, because Druidry was an oral tradition, and then Christianity came along, you know, the, and then there was this kind of period of a thousand years, really, where Druidry wasn't overtly practiced. Um, and then uh, in, in, the, in the 17th century, uh, an interest was sort of revived in it. And it, so it's got about 300 years of written history in it. A um, lot of quite um, uh, misleading scholarship, I suppose you might say, um, but because of this thousand year gap, but also lots of interesting uh, material as well. And then it's really taken off since the 1990s, actually. I mean, a bit in the 1960s and then more so in the 1990s. And it's had a, a real renaissance. So um, the advantage of it being fairly new in a way is that it's able to be quite eclectic and to draw on a wide range of sources for its inspiration, while being kind of anchored in a, in a love of, of the landscape, a love of the land, and a, a respect for um, nature, and particularly for trees and for the animals and so on. Um, and it seems to speak to people today who want a spiritual approach that is um, that is um, not dogmatic. It succeeds remarkably well in being a spiritual approach um, which is pretty free of belief. I don't know if Stuart would mm. agree with this or not, but 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 you know, there's an old, there's a sort of joke in the community. They believe twelve answers. Um, you know, so there's no dogma. There's no dogma in Druidry. So it's very, very light on, on dogma, which is, I think, what we need these days, because it's in the detail that people kill each other. People argue and end up fighting and killing um, because of the detail. And um, if you have a group of Druids today in a circle and you asked each one of them what their conception of deity was, for instance, you'd have one who was a monotheist uh, who believed that the goddess was the only deity, You'd have a duotheist who believed that there's a god and a goddess. You'd have a, a, a pantheist who believed that nature was God and so on. So there's a, the tremendous openness. So it fits very well, I think, for this era. Mm. Um, there's this category, I'm not sure, don't know if you know of it, called SBNR, spiritual but not religious. And when they do surveys of people's beliefs, the SBNR category is growing. Even in the States, the Christian uh, category is going down. Numbers are going down. SBNR, the numbers are going up. So these are people who would say things like, well, you know, no, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm particularly religious. I don't attend any religious services and I don't affiliate with a faith, but I do feel that I'm spiritual. And, 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 and I, I, I sense that, that there's a spiritual meaning to life. And then within that big category of SBNR, you've got a lot of people for whom nature is their source of inspiration and their sort of connection with spirituality. So it's sort of nature. So Druidry comes into the category of nature spirituality, people who find find spiritual fulfillment through their contact with the natural world. Oh, that's a really helpful explanation. Thank you. And I, I yeah, I think you're, I'm, I'm certain you're right about the SBNR um, you know increasing massively you know just chat to my friends and it's kind of you know up there um <laughs> in terms of changing you know political beliefs as well but um yeah that's brilliant and it's worth pointing out that that modern druids don't tend to 
get involved too heavily in sacrifice in the way we used to. And <laughs> most <laughs> sacrifices uh, is cake and ale or mead, Excellent. which is good to yeah, sacrifice. Yeah. That's so yes, lovely yes, to hear because, yes. you know, I don't think it would go down well on our <laughs> podcast with, you know, with the sacrificial stuff. But I suppose if you look uh, at the... Um, what, um, sorry, uh, Philip, go on. You, you must have worried sometimes about your brother when he said, I'm off to a druid ceremony. You must have wondered what he was up to. <laughs> Do you know, for years, I don't think he told us that he was training or if he if he did, he didn't talk uh, about it much. And it was only when he, you know, I think he'd nearly finished that... Um, I sort of was like, oh, okay then. Um, but I suppose the thing is, the nature of sacrifice is sort of quite distorted anyway, isn't it? You know, if you look at kind of what's behind it and the principles, Ooh, you know. I, it's... I think we need a whole podcast on sacrifice, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I'm just going to mute myself and if go and quiet the, vibe, quiet the, the dog downstairs. The okay. Um, the Fellowship of Isis, which is, a, which is a, 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 an organization devoted to the goddess, um, and um, they they have rather a nice thing in there. They have a sort of set of beliefs, and one of them is sacrifice forms no part of our philosophy. They say, in uh, very clearly in, in their tenets. But but it, it is interesting, and, and I, I don't want to go down the, the rabbit hole of sacrifice this time. But the idea mm. of sacrifice, you know, to make sacred. Um, on the one hand, and to give away or to um, to to um to give yourself to something is kind of the other side of it and you know they are really um both spiritual um but but also quite magical um concepts and you know we're we're about creating health and you know that that kind of sacrifice i mean jen's sacrifice to her to her artwork for example um you know she sacrificed a large portion of her life to create some of the most beautiful artwork I've ever seen. Um, and, uh, and, and I, I won't repeat that in public, obviously, but, um, uh, you know, but so, so sacrifice isn't, it is kind of this wide term that, um, I, I think is really, really important. Mm, mm, yeah. It's, it's very important. There's an enormous butterscotch slice of butterscotch cake sitting in the room next door and I'm sacrificing. <laughs> <laughs> my, my desire to, to go and eat it now to be with you it's an important um function sacrifice excellent Philip, you, you, you <laughs> said you talked about this portfolio of interests and and and, uh, and, and jen and i have, uh, have have sort of touched on on this concept before a little bit um and, and you talked about the development of human consciousness and uh, and you know one of the one of the things we're um kind of starting to explore in, in the podcast is um, the, the bringing together the, uh, of different very different ideas and and from different fields of understanding and you know interest to to to, to create things and um uh, I mean, the, the uh, i said before that the, 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 there was a, a dawning moment for me um in um, when uh, in, in jen's book on creativity where she talk, talks about creativity being the sort of amalgamation of two things um and I, and I just wondered if you could say a little bit more about that, because because I, I really like that that kind of development of consciousness through this wide stream of interests. Mm. Yes, I think it was Heraclitus who said something like, oh, gosh, I can't remember it now. But it's basically he said, you know, creativity comes when two unrelated things are brought together. 
you know. And for me, one of the reasons why I'm attracted to Druidry is because of its strong tr stress on creativity. There's this concept in Druidry, which is absolutely central, which is called Arwen, this idea of this sort of flowing spirit um, that, that, that brings with it inspiration and uh, the blessings of gods and so on. And, and so, uh, you know, we even chant that word Arwen in ceremonies and we encourage the flow of creativity. And um, I think the important thing to grasp about the flow of creativity in, of Arwen is that it's, it's not necessarily that one's attracting something new into one's life. It's very easy to think of creativity as being, I've got to be inspired to bring something, to give birth to something new into the world. And that may be the case, but it's not synonymous. So that creativity and inspiration is not synonymous with novelty. Uh, and that's, I think, a, 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 um, a, a helpful understanding to have. And then when you take that on board, you can then open yourself to the fact that every interest you have, every direct, every memory you have, every, it all comes together in this great cauldron yep. of, um, of, 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 uh, creativity you know Absolutely. then the question becomes it's very it's very interesting you know the 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 great um potter um 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 oh god yeah, um he's so famous that i've forgotten his name Bernard Leach. Um, that's when you achieve truth when, sorry leech you know the guy no 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 the one the one um he wears women's clothes he loves oh grayson. Grayson. grayson yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And he's a fantastic guy and he said um you've got to be still to allow the little creatures to come into the forest clearing. Mm. That's his uh, way of talking about creativity. And I thought that, that a druid could have said that because forest clearings are what we use, this wonderful, um, literally, physically, but also sort of metaphorically or in the inner world of the imagination, the idea of a clearing in the forest where we can find inspiration. And then you get this interesting question as to... Um, um, where those creatures are coming from. If you're, if you're a reductionist, you would say the only place that those little furry creatures of inspiration can come into the clearing are from your own unconscious. From your, because everything you've ever, ever thought and seen and heard and so on just gets all mixed up in a great big soup and occasionally something interesting will come out in the middle <laughs> of it. But if you're not a reductionist, if you believe that there's something more than the individual self and that there's a collective, you say you're, you're a Jungian, yeah. You said there's a collective unconscious. Okay, then those furry creatures might come from the collective. And then if you if you want to go further and you you believe in gods and goddesses and so on, then you can you can widen the field and, and say that the creatures maybe come from there. So so um yeah. Absolutely. Wow. And I mean, I was thinking, um, just making sure I keep muting and unmuting myself because of the woofs. We have a new, yeah. a new dog in the house, um, Philip, which we acquired. So it's a oh, bit of an interesting time. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I know I talk about cauldron type things as well. And, and, um, sometimes I think an amphora, which I think mum used to draw as part of the model, sort of a model of psychosynthesis. Um, but you know, within that pot, alchemical pot, however we want to look at it, you mm. know, yeah, there's also decay and destruction stuff and stuff that's existing. It's, you're right. It's, you know, creativity has become such a buzzword, but it's so much more than novelty and newness and, and what have you. Mm. And, yeah, no, I'm completely, and I'm going to have to go and look up about Arwen. I love that. That's, um, you know, 
beautiful concept. Um, I, I, in my book, I won't go on about it too much, but I looked at sort of the inspiration and expiration of the creative process as a squeeze and release. So just like the lungs or like labor contractions or like blood vessels and, and things. And, um, you know, that flowing. What's your book called? Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll send you later. I'll send you later. It's called coaching, coaching creativity. Yeah. Great. Great. But yeah, I can see why how psychosynthesis came into your life from though that those aspects. I mean, it would be good actually, again, if you could just in a nutshell explain to people what psychosynthesis is, because a lot of people won't know. They, you know, sure. we're starting to know more about yeah. psychological frameworks as a society. But yeah, tell us about psychosynthesis. Okay, yes. Well, psychosynthesis um, really grew out of, um, there was an Italian um, psychiatrist, uh, the Roberto Assagioli, who became f the first um, Freudian analyst in Italy. And then um, he discovered the work of Jung, and he switched to Jung, became the first Jungian analyst, as far as I know. And, uh, and then he developed, he became interested in the teachings of a lady called Alice, Alice Bailey, who talked of esoteric philosophy. And, and he developed his own psychology, which he called psychosynthesis. And so, um, what psychosynthesis does is it, is it, um, incorporates, um, it incorporates all of, um, all of the understanding, I think you would say, in, in psychoanalysis. But it includes a concept, which is the transpersonal. So he gave, Asagioli gave a very easy to understand image of, of the psyche being like a house. And he said, you know, Freud has discovered the basement and the sort of monkey who lives in the basement, which is, of course, the, you know, the id. Um, uh, and, um, the, the, he said, but there's also a balcony on the first floor where you can look at the stars. And I'm kind of more interested in the balcony. Um, so that was his, <laughs> work, that. you know. Um, so, so, um, I originally, um, my, when I, when I was young, in, in addition to being surrounded by these rather interesting sort of spiritual types, my dad ran a history magazine called Past and Future. So it had a bit of futurology in it as well. So it was rather nice. And, um, so he was always surrounded by interesting people. And, um, a number of his friends were psychoanalysts, Freudian analysts. And um, so that, and he had a lot of books about that and so on. So that was sort of in my world too. And so uh, when I was young, I wanted to be an analyst. And in fact, there's a neo-Jungian analyst called James Hillman, who's developed a thing, an idea called the acorn theory, where he talked in, in a book called The Soul's Code, where he says that we're so used to being to understanding ourselves as being conditioned by the past, what happened to us in childhood and so on. But how about if we're also being conditioned by the future? So it's a very interesting kind of turnaround of our ideas. The, the future is calling to us and so on. And, you know, so that uh, when you hold an acorn in your hand, that's why he called it the acorn theory, you know, the future forest, the future big oak tree is, is, is there um, nascent within that uh, acorn. And, um, in terms of that theory, the only school play I ever acted in was as a psychoanalyst, and I had to stick on beard, and I was asked to smoke a pipe at the age of 11 uh, on stage. Um, and um, so I, but I wanted to be a psychoanalyst. 
And um, so, but then um, uh, I trained as a, started training as a Jungian analyst or started a training analysis, I should say. But, but so psychosynthesis um, is, is really building. And I, and I moved, I, I sort of decided I wanted to train in psychosynthesis because it seemed to me that it built on psychoanalysis and yet incorporated the spiritual as well. And, and Asagioli in particular talked about, we're all familiar with the concept of repression, sort of repressing sort of dark and difficult urges from our subconscious and so on. And Asagioli introduced this idea that we can also repress ideas from our superconscious. So he built that diagram that you were talking about that you'd seen from your, your mum who trained as a psychosynthesis therapist, you were telling, telling me. Um, it, it was probably what's called the egg diagram, mm. a sort of a, 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 an egg with um, the superconscious above, as it were, and the subconscious below, and then the collective around it. And then right in the middle of that, you've got the ego and so on. Um, so, sorry, that's a very long rambling answer to your question. No, no, it's perfect. It's per oh, no, it was perfect. And I think, of course, the word synthesis is, is an, you know, another sort of um, it says word it all in some ways, yeah, doesn't it? you know, creation, creativity, etc. So, yeah, no, it's a, a, a new, a, you know, something different from different parts, you know. Um, but I, so I, I must say, I think um, there's so many questions falling for me. <laughs> um, where do I start? So, yeah, go for it, Stu. I mean, just just going back a little bit. I mean, it would be really interesting to explore this idea of of um, what I what I sort of think of as the sine wave of of, of creativity. Jen talked about the breathing in, breathing out, um, and you talked about the Arwen, and 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 certainly when I chant it, when we chant it, there's a there's a real vibe, deep vibration within it, and and. And, and we've kind of mentioned the cauldron and the, um, uh, and we do this bit on, on the show called the forge, um, which is all about you know, doing something, creating something. And, uh, and sometimes we call it the cauldron and, and, you know, you've got the, the masculine forge, the feminine cauldron in, in terms of the shapes, um, in particular. Um, and, and, and they kind of resonate with this, this, this sort of polarity of, of movement and, 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 I just wondered, can you say something more about that? Because it, you know, all these little concepts all coming together as a as a whole of creativity, which I, I really love. Are you trying to tell me that was a question, Stuart? Oh yeah, that was a question. <laughs> the question was, can you tell me something about it? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what that tr triggered for me uh, in in your talking Stuart was that was the way in 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 you know the importance of passivity within creativity you know we tend to think of creativity like as soon as I think of Jen's book I think gosh yes I must get that book and that can help me do something act be creative you know what 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 you know get, get, go to a workshop and learn how to do something in order to be creative but of course a huge part of creativity we know is in precisely not doing anything and, and for those of us who are sort of full of beans and active and all the rest of it, that can often be the hardest part is to not do anything. I mean, one of the things that intrigues me after, you know, all these years of writing is, is the fact that actually writing, physically writing something doesn't take a lot of time. You can bash out a couple of thousand words in a day uh, if you've got the flow, you know. So it's not that the writing isn't, 
isn't the problem. It's the, 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 the cooking. It's the cooking that takes time. And I discovered this the hard way because the first book I was commissioned to write, um, I wrote in a fortnight. I was asked to write the, a book by the, the Elements of, of Druidry. And I was, I don't know, 35 or something like that. I'd never written a book in my life. And I met the commissioning editor at, 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 a, at a sort of dinner party. She invited me for lunch in London. It was all wonderful. And she schmoo schmoozed me and, and gave me ideas and stuff. And off I went. And I, I, I blasted it out in a fortnight. I thought, well, this is fantastic. This, that was easy. <laughs> so when, they, when the book sold well and they commissioned me to do a second one, I thought, well, okay, I did that in a fortnight. Probably the next one will take a month, you know. And a year later, after, you know, so I got a year's, I was absolutely, I kept having to ask for extensions and, and you know, and it was absolute agony. Um, so so um, it's the cooking that takes the time. And um, so, so, so the relationship to passivity in the, in the great Druid story of Taliesin, which is the sort of foundational story in the Druid tradition, and we're, we're certainly in the way that the Order of Bazovets and Druids um, works with it with, in, in our training. Uh, it's a story about how uh, uh, a young a young man or how, how a boy becomes a young man or how a child becomes an adult. Right? So it's a growing up story, um, a story of initiation into adulthood, but also a story of how the, uh, how creativity is born in the sort of human soul, as it were. And one of the key, it's full of action, the story, but one of the key components is the fact that having been born, he's then tied up in a leather bag and floats on the sea for, you know, at least nine months or some, in some accounts, 144 years. And it's the floating on the sea that's the difficult bit in creativity. I don't know if you'd agree with me, Jen. Absolutely. And I, um, I think for all creators, I, I mean, I'm predominantly paint and write. Um, it can be torture, the floating on the sea, but and but you have to develop a deep trust in the process of floating along, mm. and a deep trust in the waiting, which is taken me, it's taken me thirty years of painting to to do, and still, you know it's still a struggle sometimes because you're kind of like, I haven't made anything. I haven't produced anything. Nothing's moving forward. But, um, can I ask both of you, um, I mean, you've talked about writing and, and I was going to say at one point that my, my introduction to Philip was when, um, his book jumped off the shelf at me in a bookshop, uh, the Druid way in 1994. And I remember it sticking out and thinking, Oh, that's interesting. Um, and, 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 and Philip, you mentioned Alice and Bailey a minute ago um and bizarrely about five years ago I was walking through my local Oxfam bookshop and I found this set of Alice Bailey's on the, on the shelf and I thought oh it looks interesting I'll buy those and they've sat on my bookshelf and I've read half of one of them um so there's this idea this concept of synchronicity um mm. that I think um uh, was Jungian or he was one of the big proponents of it but how does that feature in creativity you know you, you, you've got this sea that we're sitting we're keeping it keeping nice and quiet for the little animals to come in through the um uh you know in in, in, the, in the clearing or we're, we're floating quietly on the sea but where, where does synchronicity sit with this mm, that's a very good question it, do you want to have a go at that one philip or shall i say well, something? That? yeah um 
Well, you see, the interesting thing about, you know, you've got to sit quietly in the clearing for the little furry animals to come in. Well, yes, but also no, because if it was that simple, we could just sit back on our sofas, couldn't we? Open another beer and uh, wait for the little furry creatures. It doesn't actually happen like that. There's this, this peculiar relationship between... On the one hand, letting go, letting go. I mean, I love the way, Jen, what fascinated me about what you said earlier was about contraction and release. Mm. Because these two primary movements that you find sort of reflected at so many levels is also happening at this sort of creative level of the soul, where on the one hand, you have to completely open up. Yep. There was an interesting guy called Cohen, Richard Cohen, who did an analysis of the key traits in very creative people and self-actualized people and he found that of all the various traits that they had the two central ones was um what he called um openness and focus essentially the ability to be completely open to let go to open up and then the ability to be highly focused which is called yin and yang you know um, absolutely and um and and so so in terms of synchronicity one of the interesting things is that sometimes one can find when you're on the center, one of the things I think that Jung got interested in um, was when you're on the center of something or when you're pursuing your creative process, magically, somehow you meet people who start talking about it. You find radio programs you just happen to listen to where they're talking about, you know, and the book for, you know, comes out of the shelf at you and so on. You know, uh, these things occur as if you're somehow emitting some sort of radio frequency and it, the, the world is responding to you. So there's this interesting process of activity and passivity going on. Absolutely. And, um, yeah. I must no, say, no. it's more when I, I find it often when, sorry, Jen, um, when, when, when I'm distracted. Sorry, the, the, the phrase that I came into my mind when you were talking there, Philip, was solveit caragula, um, which is kind of mm. one of my one of my go-to phrases in, 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 because it's alchemy, it's alchemy isn't it yeah. um but but i find it's when i'm distracted by something mm. else i, I, yeah, yeah. I I've, I've tried to do something i've got nowhere i've thought i'll put it on hold for a second yeah. and i look over there and all of yeah. a sudden from another direction something appears yeah. and think, that's what i need yeah um, it's that's that's the le- that's the loosening the letting go so mm. in neuropsychology they talk about loose states and tight states etc and um you know the loosening needed neurologically to let new pathways form if you like you know you can look at it like that if you want but you know there's lots of evidence about people go you know when they're washing their hair walking their dog um kneading bread or whatever it is that they let go sufficiently to allow things to pop into mind and it's why mind wandering is is a strong feature of creative process um as you say and things come in from the side or over your head or over the mountain or wherever you want them to come in um and it's it's yeah and and to me that that's allowing yourself also the opportunity to notice synchronicities or notice different things or what have you because you kind of have to you know synchronicity i mean if we were sort of being mean and i remember talking to some quite traditional psychology psychology friends they would say oh that's magical thinking and i was like furious how dare you put this all down to magical thinking um but you know in terms of loosening and being able to see those things and there are periods when yeah it seems like i can loosen up and notice those things sufficiently to move quite quickly because i'm going da 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 
in, you know, down a certain pathway and um, it feels um, more than flow. It, it feels like a sort of a floating on air ecstasy almost really. You're just like, well, hey, and you can really get off on it actually. You know, it's just, you know, mm. I'm quite addicted to it. It's lovely. Um, but yeah, Philip, what, 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 what about you? Well, well, I'll tell you what, <clears throat> I'm thinking of how, I don't know whether this is a familiar state to you. You, 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 you want to be creative. You've got a project that you want to do or that you've been asked to do and, you know, even contracted to do. And you arrange your life so that you create the space for it. You know, you block off a week here or two weeks there or whatever. You get everything into position. And it's the, it's the one thing you want. I shouldn't be saying you because I should be saying I. This is my experience. No, no, no. Maybe, go maybe. for it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So, so, so I do all that. I arrange everything. So I've got two weeks where I haven't got commitments or whatever. And it's the only thing I want to do. And then as soon as everything's in place, I'm on my own. There's nobody here. Uh, there's no distractions. <laughs> I can only do that. And it's suddenly it's the last thing in the world. I it's like you've got the blank screen in front of you. And you think, oh, my God. Now I've actually got to produce it. Um, it's pressure. And, it's and pressure, Philip. It's pressure, isn't it? And the only way I've I've resolved in and when when I first started to experience this, you know, you you sit there and you think, oh, the irony, you know, I've come all the way to this body in Scotland, you know, with nothing else in order to write this book or whatever, and now I'm faced with it, you know, the, and 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 you wanted this to be the you know the thing. You know. Um, the, the the way I've learned to deal with it is 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 to relax, is to not immediately panic, but to go for a walk, to let the mind wander, to let go like that. And it's almost like, this isn't quite the right analogy, like an old jumbo sort of taxiing down the runway, but it's like getting into position, getting myself sort of aligned with the, with the flow or with the Arwen or however you want to put it. Mm. And then if I'm lucky, I'm off, you know, and then I can really hammer away at the keyboard and, and, and stuff comes out you know but not to panic sometimes because i used to in the early days you know years back i would i would panic if it if i'd if i'd done all the prep work yeah and nothing was there you know you know when your mind turns to mush and you can't even think straight and you think oh, my god sorry. you know but i don't panic now i you know have a little snooze or you know have a yeah, yeah absolutely yeah just just yeah. wibble i mean i yeah. i i'm a i'm a big fan of wibbling these days which <laughs> my husband <laughs> wibbling yeah sort of not really obviously doing something terribly practical focused productive which of course my husband absolutely hates because he is hyper productive we have a very very heated discussion about laziness the other day oh dear um you know and he's like well you're not doing anything i'm like i am i'm wibbling this is part of the process and you don't understand it and Oh dear, honestly, it was quite violent in the house that time. But don't I just conscious? Go on. Yeah, I was just going to say that, Wibbling, that I think you're so right. That's why I have to be on my own because I say to Stephanie, my partner, I say, look, if if you were with me, you'd think I was doing nothing because I'd be pottering, Mm. pottering around. But what you're doing, in my mind, how I, how I, how I think about it is that pot, you know, there, all the stuff is moving around inside it, you know, the, the chemical pot, for example. And I mm. kind of see that as the full fullness phase. 
things are shifting around and and actually even if you're not doing anything they're all interacting with each other they're all jiggling around um and the, you know for me the squeeze is always always the point of action um or the point of synthesis if you like um and interestingly not necessarily action i i mean in coaching there was a fabulous article about the aha mo- moment in coaching which of course you know in psych- you know psychotherapies are similar you know used as well and that's the you know the moment of light bulb synthesis awareness whatever it is you know and and that has sometimes the sitting and letting things move around actually allows that to happen it's not necessarily that we need to be active or productive or whatever sometimes sitting in in the you know as you say in the forest um is necessary I'm just Sorry. conscious, Stu, that you do you want to talk about the psilocybin research because I'm just conscious of the time. Yeah, we haven't managed to do any of our questions, have we? We've just gone <laughs> around this wonderful. Um, but what we have got, I've got a title for this episode, which is Wibbling with Philip Carb Gom. How cool is that? Um, <laughs> And I know what we're going to do for the forge this week. So, um, so we've done really well. Um, Philip, do you want to just? Would you mind just saying something about the the psilocybin research? Because, because uh, I must say, it, you know, the idea of you know, I, I'm a nurse by background, and you know, I've been steeped in um, Western medicine most of my life, and and had a, a tangential interest in in everything other types of um health um but but natural medicine um or, or western medicine often sort of stems from um uh, from, from things that that, that grow foxgloves give us digitalis and and, and digitalis <laughs> Uh, an aspirin comes from willow trees and so forth but psilocybin is is kind of seen as this nasty magic mushroomy drug that um that 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 that, that we shouldn't have but it's got some real good properties hasn't it well, exactly i mean it it it, it, it um the, the, when you said i was involved in research at the beginning it's not i mean it's not sort of it's true in terms of research it's i i i'd say i'm more involved in the in the other end of it which is what's called integration work or psychedelic psychotherapy or you know that that sort of end of it um but um but it was a research project that we were engaged in i suppose um so um the the thing about psychiatric medicine is that it hasn't really been very good um you know treatments for depression and schizophrenia and so on you know not not good um not not terribly successful and um so when when they started to do research. I mean, I think I think the first psilocybin um, research project was by Johns Hopkins University in the States, and they worked with people who were suffering from depression, severe depression, as a result of a terminal diagnosis. And you know, like who wouldn't be depressed with that sort of diagnosis? And and they found that it relieved people's death anxiety uh, massively. You know, so that's that's immediately think. Well, what a fantastic contribution that could be to healthcare, and um, and then since then, you know, the work was done by the Imperial College in London on treatment resistant depression with with tremendous effects. And there's some very good documentaries now on the BBC and so on about this about that uh, research, and um, so so. But the interesting thing is that although drugs like psilocybin can have this very positive effect, 
they do need follow-up. They do need psychotherapy afterwards. So that's where sort of I got involved in it. And it's called, it tends to be called integration work. And this is where, because of course, what happens is, although people um, were on the, on the Imperial College trial were experiencing real relief of symptoms, they were, of course, dropping back into their lives with the same relationships, the same jobs and so on, and same pressures and so on. And they needed support. So what we got involved in was a, pro a project to, to offer ongoing support. And then the interesting thing was that the, the particular program that Rosalind Watts had developed was, was based on um, the sacred trees or the, the trees of the yoga that um, Rosalind had read about and had researched and, and had found so interesting. And so we were working with people using the tr different trees as metaphors for um, different processes of psychological um, growth and change and development. And, and then, and then you get this interesting point of, you know, the question around it, to what degree is it a metaphor or is it actually a, you know, something else is happening, something transpersonal, if you like, or something spiritual. And, um, so we worked in the integration sessions, working with a different tree each month. And, um, and people really liked it. So now I'm involved, um, with Rosalind on a program called the ACER integration program which is a program that people who've either had psychedelic experiences or treatment or, or even have just had um, experiences where they feel they would like to do some integration work. And we work with the trees. Wow. Oh, goodness so me. It's, it's goodness me. I think Stuart's <laughs> probably kind of chuckling inside because, my goodness, Philip, we've got lots to talk about. <laughs> mm. I mean, I just I kind of could launch into a whole new discussion and I'm really kind of holding back. But it's so the synchronicity I've just noticed is about the painting I have called Acer. Um, yeah. yeah, which I also we could we could put it on the um, show notes as well, Stu, or make it the picture of the, this discussion. But also I wrote a whole program about using nature kind of as a metaphor for all sorts of things. And, you know, there's so much in there, isn't there, Stu? You and I've talked about it um loads over the last few years in fact i think it was one of the things that led us to to want to do this podcast we were standing in front of one of my paintings last year at an exhibition and we started talking about nature and um creativity and, and everything and it was kind of one of the things that set us off on this this current path but um i am so looking up this asa integration program it sounds brilliant and i completely agree with you about the the support needed and we we spoke to mick collins a few weeks ago um and I had a similar feeling then because I had a, whether you want to call it a spiritual awakening or spiritual crisis, but afterwards, you know, you do need the support to integrate that new learning, that new awareness. And um, it's just not, I mean, it's certainly not there in statutory services, but I don't know how you feel about this, Stu. I mean, you've, you know, you've had your fair share of interesting experiences and it's the kind of how you integrate them and... Yeah, and, and I was kind of, I, we are right out of time, but um, so, <laughs> and I'm, I'm really conscious we, we've gone, gone way off the topics. But, but that idea of, um, uh, of uh, you know, not only how do we, how do we integrate the, the, the experiences we have, how do we um, learn and build from the crisis that we go through, um, but how do we, you know, uh, there aren't many 
psychosynthesis psychotherapists knocking around that can do this for us how on earth and, and the world's collapsing around us so we're going to get more of this how on earth do we do we you know expand on this in a way that um supports society not just some individuals and the nhs is appallingly bad at doing uh, a lot of this and there are, there are some excellent pockets in the nhs but it but it's just not built for this you know, so what on earth do we do to to support people for better health? I'll leave you. Sorry, I'll leave that one for you we, to answer. Ah, <laughs> uh, okay. Yes, solve the NHS's problem. Uh, problem. Um, uh, you know, in, in, I don't know if you noticed, Stuart, having since you're you've been raised on psychosensis principles, as, as far as I understand, since your mum was trained in psychosensis. Um, that, that when I trained in psychosensis, one of the things that I realized is that I could bring these ideas into Druidry. So the OBOD course actually has psychosynthesis ideas, uh, you know, they mesh really well together and they help to sort of explicate Druid concepts really rather well. And, you know, perhaps, you know, the only thing we can do in our own small way in whatever fields we're in, we just try to bring that kind of understanding um in whatever field we happen to be and i happen to be in the sort of druid world and brought it in there you know and um yeah you know perhaps that's that's our individual contributions and and i'm also sort of conscious Stuart, that we are doing the work now you know we've we've got a plan to try and widen the the listening ship whatever you call it of the podcast and we're trying to introduce these ideas in a relaxed way um uh, you know to, to to all sorts of people not just people that are already on the page and you know just know that it's already being done is quite important absolutely i think we probably need to wrap up <laughs> in a fabulous discussion where did that hour go i know i know it flew by didn't it mad um we need to set a, a, a forge, and, and I've got a load in my mind. Um, <laughs> Might one of them revolve around wibbling? Well, I think wibbling is probably the one it's got to go for. Uh, you know, let's, let, let, let's set the challenge for our listeners. Go and do some wibbling. Whatever wibbling means to you, go and do some. And see, Just... what little, yeah, see what little pockets of awareness, creativity, or ideas pop into your mind when you're wibbling. That could be floating on the sea or it could be sitting in a glade in the in 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 the forest or it, i suppose it well for me it's usually um being completely distracted by something else that 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 doesn't matter um <laughs> but but whatever wibbling is go and do some and see where it takes you and see what happens see what synchronicities happen Fantastic. that's lovely so huge thank you to to philip cargon um yeah. absolutely it's been great fun talking with you both. Yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. And good luck with the, with the wibbling, everybody. Absolutely. And please, when you come back another time, because I kind of feel like we've just started to scratch the surface of some fabulous discussions we can have. I mean, Stuart and I are going to be interviewing people to the day we die, I think, because we've, we've, ha we've just got so, so many ideas and just talking to you has kicked off loads more ideas. And that's, that's the stirring of the creative pot, isn't it? So yeah, thank yeah. you so much, Philip. Brilliant. Lovely. Thank you, Philip. Okay. Well, and, and thank you, listeners. Um, thank you for listening. Um, show notes are available on the website. And if you've enjoyed this 
episode, don't forget to subscribe using your favourite podcast app and tell your friends, family and colleagues about it too. Um, If you want to get in touch, drop us an email at alchemicalhealth, or one word, at outlook.com. We'd love to hear from you. And um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thank you, everyone. Goodbye.